Actually, Squeeze Spot would be a cool beer name. Sure, um, it exists. Or even Bottle Shop. You're right. They probably both exist. Uh, I know. Um, cake, cake Shop. Hop Spot. <laughs> cake, um, cake Shop. That'd be good. Sweet Spot from the Cake Shop. I don't know. Actually, yeah. Uh, I know both of us have a sweet tooth. So uh, <laughs> let's... Um, <laughs> No, seriously, uh, you're 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 listening to Caking Socially. <laughs> That's right. Grab your pie and check it in. It, oh man, don't even don't even get me or everyone started. I think uh, uh, I, we've we've talked about like an untapped for wine and whiskey and bagels and soup. Right, um, <laughs> soup uh, one. <laughs> the soup one. There's merit right. to that. Broth hunter. That's right. <laughs> get out there and find it. Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and NASA is searching for planets orbiting faraway stars in farther away galaxies. For what? The Goldilocks zone is the term that kind of describes a place or a planet in an orbit where life can form. Now, why is all this important? Well, because water, water is important on a planet for life to form. And maybe more importantly, (laughs) water is key in forming beer as we know it. So tune in to this episode 15 as Harrison answers questions about water's very important role in every beer you've ever drank. That's right. And I'm Harrison. Moisture is the essence of wetness. Now, Der- we all know Derek Zoolander <laughs> said that, and <laughs> he wasn't wrong. The greatest thinkers of our time have ruminated on water since ruminating was a thing. And today we're going to continue that tradition and get knee deep in the role water has in brewing beer while drinking some awesome lagers from Two breweries uh, I love that really are kind of making some waves in a pool that not too long ago was only accessible to legendary German brewers steeped in tradition. So I say cannonball, let's get on in there. But first, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and also check us out on Twitter uh, at yeah. That beer podcast, you can get more of Harrison's water puns there. Oh, man, that was a lot of them. I was drowning there at the end. Oh, <laughs> there he is. All right. My goodness. Enough of that nonsense. Let's get to, let's get to some, some weekend catch-up, which, as we say, every episode is our new favorite thing. It's not really new anymore, but it's still a favorite thing to hear kind of what you've been up to, John. And So, yeah, what's, what's been happening lately in the beer world and, and your beer journey in particular? Yeah, I, it, every weekend is a new excuse. To, now I'll, I'll leave those alone. I'm not quite as good at that <laughs> as you are. So um, my weekend. So uh, the most previous weekend that I recall is yeah. listening to this episode. The big one was Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was really special because it, I, I took an extra day off. So, yes. uh, man, it's so... Uh, it's so nice of a treat. It was Friday night. I could drink an extra couple of beers Saturday night and then Sunday night as well. I've been working really hard on a local keg that I bought from a brewery here in Wilmington. Um, and it's, I, I've, I've never checked into one beer so many times, (laughs) but it's been a fun challenge and I understand how people can do that, especially if you have a keg of it at home, but yeah. 
The big one for me, I finally cracked open. I had a 2017 Dark Star from Ooh. Fremont. It was the Spice Wars edition. Wow. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons about a weekend ago, which it, this was like the perfect, it was 14% aged in wax, which sometimes is a pain in the butt when you're trying to open it in a hurry. But right. it it sat, it <laughs> aged beautifully. It tasted amazing. It was a perfect sipper for like three hours of just pretending um, to, yeah. to, to do things in wow. imagination land. That was great. That sounds amazing. Um, another, yeah. probably another one that I think is worth mentioning, um, just cause it's kind of a rarity for me on 4th of July weekend, uh, serendipitously, mm-hmm. I noticed that almost every beer I drank that weekend was red, mm-hmm. um, which it might have been patriotic. It was probably a love of fruited sours, but <laughs> yeah, um, I cracked open a can. It was called "We Met on the Internet" from Something Brewery. Love That's it. their name. Love it. So good luck googling them. Right, uh, but you will find them on Untapped. <laughs> um, for me, what was really cool is that I only had two Untapped friends that had that before. Um, so cheers to you, Jared and Steven, who's actually the head brewer at Little Brother Brewing Ooh, in Greensboro. Nice. Those are the only two people that had checked into that beer. And usually I go right to my friends to see, you know, if it's a beer I've never had before, I want to see what they thought. So between Jared and Steven, I had yeah. some great feedback. And even now it's only been about a week and I've now I'm up to four friends that have had that beer. Oh, nice. uh, so, so cheers, cheers right. keep drinking on right. right it's out there in the world i guess that's that's awesome that's great yeah me too go right to the friends and kind of see see what's what and then go from there absolutely what about you harrison i know you generally uh appreciate your fourth of july weekends in the form of 80s movies and sure narragansett that's uh, right w- what'd you get into recently yep. good beers that happened we watched jaws night one and then yep had some had some gansets and a lot of grilling and uh, barbecuing and lots and lots of food. It was exhausting the amount of, of eating that happened. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. Uh, and lots of fireworks and all that cool stuff. But when it came to beer, along with the Narragansett, I've been drinking a lot from Wise Man Brewing. They're out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, and not just the Conceited Genius 2.0, they're uh, new England IPA that I had uh, during our live event on the Facebook group, but their pale ale as well. They have a hazy pale ale called Chosen Vehicle that's um, amazing. It features galaxy hops, which I think that's an awesome hop. The first time I ever had it was in a pale ale just called Galaxy from New England Brewing Company, and they it was amazing. And so maybe I'm a little biased, but I think that hop is best served in a pale ale. I think it's a it just allows it to kind of shine through whereas if it was an ipa there'd be more of it and it can kind of get a little crazy and overpowering at that point but anyway this is a perfect showcase for that hop that's really really one that i've loved from the first time i had it with that galaxy pale ale many uh now a couple years ago um so that was that was kind of the highlight of the we can be able to sit back and enjoy a four pack of that across the, the course of it and then really in terms of my beer brain, it's been with all this brewing 101 we've been doing on the podcast, kind of that homebrew itch is 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 there in my life again. And I've been doing some research on what can I do to spin that back up and, and find some room to store even more beer-related things in my house, which there is no room to do. But that's why <laughs> they have shelves and technology and sheds you can buy or build to, for hobbies like that. So 
So keep keep tabs on that, or maybe I'll keep you guys up to date if I make some ridiculous purchase and all of a sudden have a some kind of steampunk home brewery in my backyard. It may happen. We'll see. But uh, that's kind of where yeah, what I, what I was up to. That's that's awesome. I'm I'm excited to talk more about home brewery. It was late home brewing, I should say. It was too late for me to make that a goal for 2020 to really yeah. like dive into that. But I. Um, well, as a tag along, I would love to help you mash in mm-hmm. sometime uh, for season four of drinking socially mm. um, and, and do some homebrew. Uh, I don't know. Talk to you guys that listen. Yeah. Uh, maybe organize some sort of digital homebrew challenge uh, or maybe not a challenge, just a way to share recipes and stuff. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Let us know if you're doing that already. You guys in the, you know, in the group or listen to the podcast, you can hit us up on all our Social media, like said, uh, John said, we're on Twitter now, that beer podcast. Um, so find us there. Um, and yeah, let us know if you guys are already doing this stuff and have some kind of recipe exchange program. Love to hear about it and talk about it if you are. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm now I'm just I, I got to stop thinking about <laughs> it because we're going to open a beer. But yep. I want to figure out a way to use Untapped's homebrew site to share some of these with each other, maybe um, much like all together or black is beautiful, like create a recipe and have everybody in the podcast group brew it yeah, um, and see how it turns out. We almost did that with your pumpkin beer That's last right. uh, Halloween. Uh, I think only, I can't remember who, but I think it was only one person that put a picture up in Facebook. So we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go big next season. Right. Um, but for the first beer tonight, mm, yes, uh, let's get in. Yeah, I'm excited. I've never had this before. Likewise. Every time I have a beer from Night Shift, it's usually quite a treat. Um, mm. And this comes to us from a good friend of mine and yours, Harrison, That's Robbie right. Hooper. Um, Robbie's actually from the area where Night Shift comes from. He helped me get my first Jack's Abbey beer. Mm. Um, thanks for sharing this one with us. Yeah, Robbie. thank you, Robbie. You're a good man. And I'm pumped to jump into this beer. So let's just, I likewise have not had it, but everything I've had from Night Shift has been great. So pumped. There it is. Also, really appreciate that it's in a can because oftentimes I forget to go grab a bottle opener in the middle of the show. Yep. Um, so this beer. The specs, Night Heavy from Night Shift Brewing is an American lager. It is um, gold, bold, and pure American lager um, is kind of the tagline on here. It pours honey gold with a pillowy white head. Aromas of, I love this, cereal and lemon citrus. I'm in love already. It sips smooth and refreshing with notes of barley, malt, and honey. Light bodied with a crisp carbonation that rolls off the tongue. Uh, I've already got a handful of friends on Untapped that I see that have checked into this beer. Uh, it comes in at five percent. Yep. For me, that's that's a little bit high for mm. most of the loggers I had, but I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I'm not angry about that at all. Right. Um, but five would have been probably more than I expected, uh, even in a pale ale sometimes. And I'm curious to see how this tastes. So I'll shut up and pour it. Yeah, but it looks. It looks. Super light. It's crystal clear. I have my night shift pine glass as well to accompany me on this journey. Big old fluffy head that dissipates pretty quick. But and it, yeah, I got the cereal and like like honey pop right away. It almost smells like Kolsch's we've had in the past. It's actually, I'm getting like a hit of Gapple Kolsch and stuff almost, which. Yep. Mm. Yep. 
the cereal, the cereal is like all I can smell on yeah. on the aroma here. It's, it's a li- maybe a little bit of lemon. You know, I guess if you just handed it to me, I'd probably say it smells like beer. But right. knowing kind of having a hint of what I might be looking for <laughs> makes it for me so much easier to just get in there. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. It does it smells like it smells like summer? Let's. I'm gonna dive in. I'm going in. Going in for a dip. Damn, these guys are good. I get that crisp carbonation, uh, super clean finish. Yep. A little bit of bread there, but it's not overpowering at all, which can be the downfall of some lagers where it kind of tastes like wet bread. And this is so far from that. But the note's still in there that, uh, that reminds you that it is made with grain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> much like and bread. And I feel like... I read honey a bunch of times right. in the description they give us on untapped. I don't even remember if they said they brewed it with honey, nah. but I not nah, two sips in, I can taste it. That's probably psychological, but no, nah, I mean I got I it. I get a yeah. little I get it. I get it. I think I mean you're right, it could be us excuse me, incepting ourselves, but I think it's it's there. That's a common I feel like that's something I get in a lot of loggers. I'm kind of hunting and hoping for that. It's like a honeyness and a nice dry kind of light floral hop hop that just fades away quickly, which is exactly what this is doing. Um, and they do have, I think, this beer. So on Untapped, 900 as of this podcast recording, even total check-ins, 731 unique. So I don't, and I don't, 114 have been this month. So I don't think it's been around terribly long. And I could check on there. Age actually, um, and also they also have night light, which is like, and then lime uh, light, which is a you know I would say, yeah, which is pretty cool. So like versions, uh, other loggers that are um, that they're making that um, that are a little bit lighter to your your point, John, um, than this one, but uh, man, this is uh, this is good. So they yeah they're kind of getting to the lager game, but I'm kind of curious. I, I remember seeing Nightlight come up the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, they're doing loggers." So yeah, Night Heavy was added to Untapped on the 23rd of March of this year. So it's only been around. Oh, okay. As far as I can three, tell, three, four months couple, old. Yeah. So probably plan was get this thing in here for the uh, for the summer months when people are going to be wanting to hunt down loggers, and here we are. Um, yeah. What is is Night Light? Night Light is an American uh, very light. Di- is it? Yeah, it's an American okay. light lager. It's 4.3%. So that would probably be like their... This is... The way I see it is, you know, like every big macro, you know, brewery has like the the light and the not light version. The, but, the light and the heavy. Right, exactly right. The, exactly, <laughs> exactly correct. I think that... If they had a bunch of horses working for them, right. this would be... <laughs> right. I think you guys know what we're saying. So I think this is... That's kind of the the... the the play on action, their play on words or whatever, play on this idea of having a light and then a heavy to complement it. Night light, though, looking at other variants, they have a blood orange night light, a fruit punch ah, night light, a lemon night damn. light. So they're in on the, well, the lager ba- bandwagon, but not not just settling for we'll have a light lager. They're having a lot of fun with it, which they, as they do with all their beers. But um, And then the lime light as well. So this is, uh, but this is cool. I mean, this is, this is, I'm, very curious to drink night light because this is tell you what it looks very light it tastes a little heavier than it looks though if that makes sense like looking at it i would think man this is going to be 
a light beer, it doesn't have that kind of like, um, I don't know if you could wateriness that a light beer can bring forward where it really does taste like you're drinking kind of like a bready water. Sometimes this one is, it's almost, it's, I don't know. I'm getting Kolsch like vibes from it. Really. I, I, I wanted to say earlier when you mentioned Kolsch, like I, I, I get, I'm uh, sorry. I get a Kolschiness, right? Yep. Forgive me for the term. Um, <laughs> but where I miss it is, um, it doesn't bring me usually in a coal shall find like an apple or some yes. sort of like yep. fruit. And yep. in this one, yep. uh, I think a big difference is like that fruit is just replaced with like biscuity, mm-hmm. cereal-y sure. malt flavor. Yep. But otherwise, you're yep. right, man. It's super. Um, I've been drinking a dry hops lager is the uh, local one that I have on keg. And it's amazing. Um, it's light crispy like a lager yeah. but it's just it's just packed so much with uh tropical citrus flavor from the dry hop yeah that sometimes after two or three even though it's a lager i, I i'm like i i need a some right. I need some relief right. here right sure this doesn't it does feel heavier as yeah. it's labeled night heavy but it doesn't um it doesn't bring like each sip i have is kind of uh uh clen- palate cleansing sure. in and of itself yeah and as i drink it now i'm like the colchness is going away and it's really like the bread is jumping out more as it should for like an american style lager this is paving the way it's 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 becoming more apparent as i drink it and kind of warms up just a tab this would be like the beer i would drink on the boat a go-to beer i love that it's in a big old gold can i think yep. that's amazing um they're definitely having fun with this, but of course, filled with amazing beer. Um, no, nothing to joke about when it comes to how it actually tastes. So clear. That's something we haven't uh, we haven't drank. Uh, I, I'm saying this, and I'm probably already wrong, but it's been a while <laughs> since we've had a lager. Yeah. Uh, on the show, and the, we had a Kolsch, but that was back when we were we did the in the Untapped right. office all right. the time. We did the Mybach. Yep, that's it. That's but it's. I mean, like I can see, I can see Robbie Hooper's check-in through yeah. this beer, which is a great Instagram filter as well. <laughs> and just hold it up to your screen. There you go. I love it. Yeah, I know. But it, I'm pumped that it's we're having it kind of on the early side of it existing because I could see this beer even this this summer alone as it kind of gets out there a little bit more and people learn about it um, being just a go-to, an easy summer go-to for a lot of people. Yeah, especially if you're fortunate enough to live in an area where night shift distributes, I can see this beer on untapped. It looks like it's made it as far down as Poughkeepsie. I see it in nice. Latham, New York. Yep. Uh, and then a bunch of mass towns that I'll pronounce incorrectly. <laughs> Boston. I know Wooster. I know how Wooster. to say, uh, thanks. <laughs> I, of course, sort of know how to say it. Uh, so probably anywhere you are in and around, uh, mass area, I'd yeah. imagine this wouldn't be too hard to find. Looks like yeah. Eastern New York as well. I think I've, I've seen night shifts sporadically even down here in Carolina before. Yeah. I think in Virginia as well. Yeah, I mean, I know they, they're they opening up a brewery in Philadelphia with the goal of kind of moving more farther west and farther south. Uh, so hopefully, I'm not sure where they are on the build and the plans and stuff, but hopefully that happens and we can get stuff like this all the time i was talking with robbie about it and apparently the night night light is only available in like 12 pack cans which is like sweet 
Sign me up. That sounds good to me. I'm totally fine with that. They have like already, I think, four or five locations. The brewery does in and around Boston and Everett. I think what I love most about this, uh, and we'll probably touch on this in sort of a would you rather later, but this brewery was founded what is now eight years ago. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's whatever you're doing for a business, eight years of success. Yeah. Um, but it was founded by three friends that used to just homebrew beers together in, in a garage after work. Um, and that, I mean, for me, uh, is somewhat of a romantic. I love the idea that like they got together after work, brewed beer because it was a hobby they enjoyed and they were able to turn that into a business and, and make really good beer. Yeah. Yep. I know they've been awesome from day one and, uh, yeah, done nothing but grow and now have over a million check-ins on untapped, which is really cool. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Right. So killing it and just continue to grow, uh, even more. So kudos to them. Easy to understand why when you drink their beers, lucky to have a couple of their IPAs, which is what they kind of started out being known for, but pumped that we're they're in lager land now and, and doing awesome stuff with it. Yeah, they did. I think my first experience with, with them, if I actually, I'm going to look at untapped. It was September, 2016. Mm. Holy cow. Um, it what looks like it was at a bottle share, but they were doing a single hop series at the time. They called it one hop this time. Yes. And I had an Equinox yes. beer and I think a galaxy beer as well. I don't see the check-in, but that was, I think that was one of the first times I remember seeing like single hop beers just so easy in is in the name and thinking like, man, I wish I could buy like a mixed 12 pack of these and, and, go, and like pick apart Simcoe galaxy and mosaic yep. all, all with the same grain build. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, taste those hops. I know this, this single hop beers are great. I had that one too. in uh, October 7th, 2016, I had the one hop this time Equinox Equinox, such a massive hop, but, uh, and I just wrote, Beer buddies. I just wrote dank. That's it. That was my description in the check. It was dank five bottle caps. <laughs> so um, liked it, yeah. dug it. Uh, looking at mine, I hope we're correct. Looking at mine, it seems that the label was scratched off because as I read the review, it says, this is based on timeline and flavor alone. I assume this is the Equinox version, but either way, it was a good beer. Um, so they, I, if I remember correctly, this is four years ago, they yeah. probably had a date on the can yep. and the single hop wasn't published. So let's hope that was right. Might have been. Um, one thing I wanted to ask Harrison, we'll cover water in more detail. It's coming up in Beer 101 towards the second part of the show. But yeah. uh, a question that, that kind of relates here. We've talked about night heavy and their night light version. We're going to talk about water's role in beer. But uh, a timely question is, if you're brewing the heavy version of this beer and the light version of this beer, is there a consideration in water as you're as you're building those recipes and changing things? Or could you get away with this? And, and this this is an uninformed question. <laughs> I'm just asking it because we're talking about the, the heavy and the light version. Sure. You'll probably want it to be almost the same or identical. You're going to, as we'll talk about later, like the, the water, the pH is the most important is the most important thing with a, when it comes to brewing water and we'll, I'll dive more. I'll qualify that in a little bit. Um, but so 
but not of just the water of the, your mash itself. So after you add the grains to that water and you're mashing in, what is that pH? Because the grains will change the pH of that water. So the lighter beer having less grains and lighter grains will change the pH less than the heavy version of it. So you may have to do some slight adjustments uh, to get to your sweet spot of where you want your pH to be if you're mash water, but probably not that much knowing how close these the light and the heavy are to each other but it would be something you'd you'd want to monitor and measure like the first time they brewed it i'm sure they did to see what's our mash ph looking like for the lighter version or the heavier version uh, of this beer to make sure it's in that same spot uh, but the grains will will be affecting be affecting that so probably not much to change but, but it's easy to at this point when you're especially when you start with one beer that's close to another in style to make no kind of a ballpark what you got to slightly change to get in your sweet spot sweet spot speaking of actually sweet spot would be a cool <laughs> beer name sure um, it exists or even bottle shop you're right they probably uh, both exist um cake cake shop hop spot <laughs> cake um, cake shop that'd be good sweet spot from the cake shop I don't know. Actually, yeah. Uh, I know both of us have a sweet tooth, so uh, <laughs> let's um, – no, seriously. Uh, you're, you're, you're listening to Caking Socially. <laughs> the, That's right. Grab your pie and check it in. It, oh, man. Don't even, don't even get me or everyone started, I think. Uh, uh, I we've, we've talked about like an untapped for wine and whiskey and bagels and soup. Right. Um, <laughs> soup fun. Uh, the soup one, there's merit right. to that. Broth hunter. That's right. <laughs> get out there and find it. All right. Do you carry gazpacho? Is there a get out of here? Don't check in your gazpacho to broth yeah, this hunter. Is, this is a, a, a cold, cold <laughs> steeped bone broth with Madagascar. Anyways, um, for social media updates, here's Wild Transition. Yeah. Uh, talking about social media while we finish these beers. Um, I've got, I've got two would you rathers that are, mm. uh, user submissions. Nice. Uh, we talked about Greg on the last episode. Uh, Greg submitted one that got a lot of attention in the Facebook group. And then more recently, Jared, who had the same red beer as I did, uh, submitted one as well. So mm. we'll get to Greg. And uh, if we have time before the ad break, I want to, uh, just kind of try and entertain Jared's as well as a more difficult question, mm -hmm. but. Greg's is one I think we can all relate to, yeah. if anything, wax nostalgic on. Indeed. Um, so his question broken down is, would you rather enjoy six good beers at a beer festival or wait in queue for 20 or 30 minutes for one amazing beers? Um, <sighs> I said one amazing beer. <laughs> okay. Gosh. So... Yeah, I'm going to leave that with you, Harrison. We're, we're at a beer festival, and uh, to put it maybe in, in, in terms that's easier for everyone to relate with, um, go to a beer festival. There's not a lot of lines, so you can easily walk down and see six breweries that are just pouring and ready to go. Yep. But you know, over on this side is like Marshmallow Hanji Dark Lord 2016, uh, but there's a line that's going to take you forever to get it. Yeah. Man. 
so many thoughts. The, right. the prankster inside me is coming out thinking, where's the closest fire alarm? Can I pull that? <laughs> and then problem solved until the police arrive. Um, at that point, who cares? That was my first first thought. My second thought was the best life hack you can do at a, at a beer festival is sneak in a bottle of, you know, Abyss Barrel Age 2014 and just walk past the line next to whatever, you know, brewery you want to go to, open it up and go, hey, you want to try some of this? What do you got on tap there? And then all of a sudden a bottle share is happening, no lines matter, and you're on the other side of all the tables kind of working the inner track of all the all the tents that are set up. So all it takes is a bottle of something crazy and uh, encourage and uh, and you can accomplish almost anything. I think uh, I think a president said that once, um, <laughs> but not sure which one. But to answer the George Washington, right? That's him. For that's sure. his name. Right. Couldn't remember his first name. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, it's this is a tough right. It's a tough predicament because. You know, right. Like, why are you at that festival? Is it to try something you can never have anywhere else? Then it's probably going to be that beer that has the long line. And if that's why you're there, then you've kind of committed to that. And great, stand there and and talk with other beer fans and, and all that stuff and commit to that experience. Get up there and, and check it out. For me personally, though, and, and I, beer, every, anytime anyone says beer festival, I have kind of flashbacks of the millions I've worked where it's just like such a different experience and kind of just waiting for the... When you're working right, it, just where's sure. one sandwich? Exactly. They give me five minutes or, you know, like at the, like right at the two hour mark, this everyone becomes a zombie and it's your kind of job to kind of fend them off and redirect them to water stations and talk them down off of whatever crazy idea ledge they're on. Um, had a lot of wild conversations the, the latter half of many a beer festival um, but to try to push that all aside, um, you know, I'm fine with sitting in a line for a while and grabbing a beer. Cause that's probably why I'm there if I'm at a festival. However, right. Like I, I mean, it's almost like you want to stay away from those lines, like game it right. We're like, cool, go have your beer. I'm going to get all the, the other beers. No one's drinking now. And then go jump in that line afterwards, which is cheating the question. Um, but that would be like in a real world scenario. That's what my brain would do if I didn't get there before the line was when the line was small and I got there too late. I'm just walking away, maybe hovering nearby, grabbing a couple of beers from other things, see when that line maybe dies for a minute, jump in it then. Um, at any given festival, I always have my list of like, all right, here are the five breweries I need to get to, and like again, I've kind of mentally committed to like if there's a line, I'm in that line. Um, luckily though. Beer festival have been going on long enough, or even the, the those beer lines can move pretty quickly. The ones that are are stacked a hundred people deep. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough thing to actually parse apart. But my gut, if I walked into a festival and saw long lines, would be let's go get six cool beers that also I may not know about. And that's the other part about that is that sure you may go to a festival with an agenda of I want this cool crazy barrel age thing. And the process, discover your next favorite brewery um, that you had while waiting for that beer you thought you were there for. And then you discover, um, you know, the place that you, you know, always overlooked at the bottle shop for whatever reason, because their labels weren't crazy or you didn't know enough about them or whatever it is. And they're there and no line. Let's check it out. I've done that plenty of times. Um, 
I used to happen almost every fest I went to. And that kind of became a thing too, where it was like, let's find these five beers. But then what's going to be my kind of like surprise of the festival ever I never had before. That's going to wow me. Where, where can I find that? Um, so I'm going for the six beers, hoping I discover the next dark Lord along the way. I don't, I, I don't think you're incorrect. I think from a logic standpoint, which is generally how I try and make all my decisions, that's the best road to go down. Uh, there's been many times I went to a beer festival and discovered something, you know, unintentional. Oh yeah. Uh, whether it be, I'm not a, I'll admit a kombucha is weird to me, but <laughs> th- I remember there was a festival where it was just like a, a tiny, like it was a dude that was making kombucha in his garage <laughs> and somehow showed up at this beer festival. <laughs> and it was amazing. I was yeah. like, this is not real. You know, this tastes like ginger kombucha, face right. punch. Right. So I love those surprises, but having been to enough festivals, I know damn well when I see a big line, I'll get in there without even knowing what's at the other end of it and just hope it's going right. to be great. Right. You pointed out a really valuable lesson. If you don't do this already, if it's possible, uh, see who's going to be there. Yeah, a lot of times a festival will tell you the breweries that are going to be there so you can know ahead of time, I have to find these five yeah. uh, or 10 or however much. And then if if you can, if they if if they're really nice, they'll give you a map and you'll be able to really get granular and plan it out like a dad on a European vacation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so plan. That would be my first advice. Plan. If you if you have the option, get a VIP ticket so you can get there early before <laughs> that line's huge, and then you'll be the one going up and down all the other breweries that are easier to get to while everyone waits in line. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have a VIP option. Get married and have your significant <laughs> other wait in that long line, uh, and then just grab grab a beer, find your significant other, have them taste it while they're in line, and then bring them back another beer. So this way, it's almost like cloning yourself. Right, that's, that's genius too. Yes, John, exactly. My, except my problem is, uh, my God bless her because I love her so much. <laughs> uh, but my wife will usually volunteer to do that and then just leave the line halfway through and I won't be able to find her for the rest of the festival. I won't know if I'm getting that beer. Um, Where's my wife? So, I'm hungry. Yeah. Right. What, what if I do? Yeah. I'll just wait in the line. Yeah. We'll meet we'll her. Find her. We'll meet her there line. eventually. Right. And she's sharing a bottle of Abyss with the brewers up there. Exactly. Ah, right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Trying to find a bathroom, but it's just endless broom closets. That's the wrong door again. The wrong. Where is the bathroom? Why don't they mark oh. them? Uh, Man, that makes me miss going to beer festivals. Though I've had uh, uh, every one of them, a good, great, bad. Every one of them, I've had a good time at. I've met some amazing people. A lot of my, a lot of my untapped friends now come from doing this podcast or yeah. our own virtual festival. But mm-hmm. before, I would just meet people at beer festivals and we would add each other on untapped and I still keep in touch with a lot of them. It was really fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Next question before we go to break, this one comes from uh, Jared. He put it in the Facebook group. I think it was pretty recent. Um, And this one, none of the would you rathers have a right or wrong answer, but um, for this, it's probably an answer more of, uh, I think Mm -hmm. his words were, it'll require some finesse, but, but maybe I'll ask you, Harrison. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase and put into my own words what his question reads. Yes. But, so if you're opening your own brewery, 
Harrison's Brewery, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe you're more creative than that. Nah. Um, Brew Pub. <laughs> Harrison's Brew Pub and Chicken and Pie. Um, <laughs> would you, uh, I have to, re- okay, so uh, would you rather maintain the business of a brewery that you enjoy without a lot of hype as is? Or would you rather be more exposed with social media or, or even like using untapped um, and doing some marketing? Um, and I don't, I can't read from his question. I don't know if he's asking like, would you as a visitor prefer this or would you as a brewer prefer mm. this? So I'm going to ask you as a brewer opening up your own brewery, would you rather kind of go the low and slow word of mouth, right. no marketing route and right. just do it for the love of the sport? Uh, or would you rather use social media and marketing and, and things to get your name out there? Right. Yeah, it's it's a great question um, because especially asking, right, like of the of the brewer, what do you want? And you'd probably like as a brewer, if you're if that's your job and your job is to be the brewer, you probably care about one thing and that's making great beer. And if it was me, I'd like, my perfect situation is I hoodwink some venture capitalists into give me a bunch of money and I just make a bunch of beer that happens to be in a commercial brewery and they, you know, and it gets sold to people. Um, but, you know, being realistic about it, that venture capitalist probably wants a return on his investment. He wouldn't be a good venture capitalist if he didn't. So uh, any business requires, you know, food money to keep the lights on. So it'd be really important as much as I'd rather focus on, you know, making beer and, diving into that stuff to have an audience for that beer to get to because that would be you know the worst thing ever to spend all this time making a bunch of beer and then no one knows about it and it's kind of just you know it's just a bunch of work that doesn't really matter that was one of the really cool things about just working in breweries is you know at the end of the day when you were exhausted and the tap room would open up you know hundreds of people would come in there and drink a bunch of beer that you made it was a wild thing to sit back there and watch all these people laughing and sharing stories and having a good time uh really you know being powered or fueled or whatever you want to however you want to look at it by this beer you spent you know time making and i wasn't expecting that when i first started to have that kind of experience and uh and stuff so obviously customers are important to any business um so i would i would jump in and knowing all that now kind of going through that journey that we just did this exercise you know knowing that though you have to you have to you can't be quiet about this stuff. Uh, if for no other reason that Untapped won't let you, like the Untapped fans are going to find you, the users are going to find you checking your beers, and then people are going to be on Untapped talking about it. And you know, it's it's better to be in front of that snowball and you know guiding where it goes instead of standing at the bottom of the hill just getting getting wrecked with it uh, unexpectedly. So in this day and age, you know, social media obviously it's it's all it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, and you, you want to be right controlling that, that conversation and, um, and using it to, to, as a platform to, to get people excited about what you're making and build that community in your tap room. So you can sit there at the end of a hard day and go, oh, that guy's laughing. And I heard him over say, this is one of the better stats he's ever had. That's really cool. That might not have happened if I kept quiet in my dark cellar, just making beer and counting yeast cells and stuff, <laughs> which is exciting. Um, but, you know, when you are in the industry long enough, you realize it's only part the beer making is really only part of that whole entire experience, um, not the whole the whole shebang. I, I, I think you said that. <laughs> I think you answered that perfectly 
from yeah. from from what I view, um, I can I, I've never been responsible to be uh, I've never I've never been a professional brewer responsible for making beer for masses and uh, and commerce. Um, I do have a, 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 a long history of, of doing that in a professional kitchen. And I, I think there's a similarity, yes. oh, yeah. like there's a passion, you're turning ingredients into a product, a product that can be nostalgic or uh, memory creating for people that, that purchase it. And, and you can't do that without a passion or a love for that. You can't just come in and mix sauce with noodle and export <laughs> pasta. I mean, you can, right. there's franchises that have made a sure. big deal of it. Right. Um, and we see that in the beer world as well, but even any talented, motivated chef that I was lucky enough to work for and learn from, even though they had an immense talent and love for creating these uh, Epicurean experiences, they knew that unless they wanted to just do this at home for dinner parties and friends, you had to tell people you had to sell tickets sure. or covers and reservations. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, and you had to give people a good experience so that they would come back and talk about you to their friends. Yep. But I guess I think you, you can have them both together. I, yes, everybody loves, I love when I go to a brewery we did on last season, uh, Corey brought us a beer from fermentary form yeah. in Philadelphia. Really, yeah. And it's like, it's like a super, I don't know if I can still say the word, but like hipster joint yeah, where like yeah. you go into an alley and there's an unmarked door. <laughs> like I love discovering stuff like that. Yes. And if you do it well, people will tell and you'll sell all your products. And at the end right. of the day, and that's what really matters. You can be amazing at your craft, but if you're not profitable, then what's the point of doing it for business? You should just share it with your friends. Right. Like I think there has to be some marketing and some hype um, to to make it worth your while. Sure. Um, and that's again, I'm I'll, I'll view this very logically and, and business driven. But use marketing, as Harrison said, social media is ubiquitous, and you can you can control it to a factor or you can, you know, ignore it and, and curse it, but you're not going to get rid of it. And I think controlling it is a great way to send your message, uh, promote your brand, tell people what you're doing um, and let them embrace that if they love it. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. When you get in the, and open a brewery and you're making cool beer and then you, yeah, if you, you want to buy more cool ingredients, you need people coming in during your beer to do that. So yeah, once you step into that, that that puddle you want to like it's it kind of becomes a, a river and then a lake very quickly where you're like oh wow i really i wish we need more people in the door because i got plans i can see where this could go and it needs support for my local beer fans to get there together it, i mean we've said it again and again that beer breweries are i've historically been and now are again this the community hub for many reasons, many, you know, not just because it's a place to drink, but a place to gather and have ideas and cool conversations and literal like town hall meetings, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, so if you want to be that focus point, you have to kind of right, keep providing quality products and innovating. So if you want to keep coming back and can't do that without the, the customer. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all again, it's it's a lovely romantic idea to think you can sit quietly on a mountaintop with your humble little brewery and make stuff but after you make it and no one no one buys it you can't make any more of it 
<laughs> and then the dream ends and you're just stuck on a mountain. True. You, uh, this isn't business 101, but <laughs> you have to find a way to maintain a balance sheet. Um, or, uh, and there's no slighter, this isn't meant to be diminutive, but brew in your garage and, and share it with your friends if, if you really just do it as a hobby and for the love of the sport. Um, because as Harrison will tell you many times, some of the best beers anyone's ever had were made mm. in a garage. Oh, yeah. Garage or a barn or somewhere deep in the woods. Yeah. That was, yeah, dark and mysterious. Lots of EL, ELL music playing in the background somewhere. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of, like, made plenty of magic happen in barns. Uh, but even those guys knew, like, right, it wasn't, it was just, uh, just, uh, just for the fun of it. Um, oh man. Yeah. Great memory. I want that to be the, the tagline of the show. We'll see if we can share I've had many, many magic, <laughs> magic made in barns. Barn. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I saw that coming. Just, just went for it. Um, I appreciate you going for it, man. <laughs> All the memories, all the memories. That's another tale for another time. I may have already told it actually, so maybe it's maybe it already is recorded somewhere. Um, but cool, we're gonna now take a quick break, listen to our favorite ad man, give you some info about stuff, and then we'll drink another beer when we get back. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untapped.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening and we love that here. All right, fantastic. And now it is time for beer number two. We have House Lager from Jack's Abbey Craft Lagers out of Framingham, Mass. It's the beer numero dos tonight. Just hold it up to the... Uh, yep, to the to the peeps out there. <laughs> um, Style-wise, classified as a Hellas-style lager. On the can, it says a golden lager or a Hellas land beer. Uh, on the back of it, which is pretty cool. 5.3% ABV, so a little bit more than uh, Night Heavy. 18 IBUs, and the notes uh, from Dax Abbey. What the hell is this a land beer? Hilarious. Oh, love love me a good pun, as we all know. Ours is sweet and golden with a full multi body inspired by the country lagers of Bavaria. This pale beer is our house specialty from Jack's house to your house. And yeah, I don't need to say much more than that. This is one of my all-time favorite lagers, all-time favorite beers. I remember the first time I had it. It also doesn't hurt that originally being from Connecticut, uh, you can find a six-pack of 16-ounce cans for like eight or nine bucks. Holy at cow. A good, right at a good bottle shop so um, or liquor store if you're in Connecticut because um, bottle shops don't really exist um, there. But um but yeah, so it's it's one that I discovered and was and then was pleasantly surprised that it was very affordable and delicious and it's just I'm pumpered. I've wanted to do it for a while ever since I had it and knew I was also doing a podcast ever since we did their their Oktoberfest last uh, season. Yep. That Jack Jack uh, Abbey's Oktoberfest 
that was i know we didn't really announce a winner on that show but that was a magical yeah. movie. that was that, that was probably yeah. the winner for me that was the one we talked about a lot afterwards of kind of when we walked away and had some time to actually process all the beers we had. We kind of both yeah. came back to that one. That one again and again is like, holy cow, Copper Legend is that, uh, yes. that beer. And we did we did a lot, a lot of, a lot of Oktoberfest that episodes. Jump back into season two and check it out if you haven't, um, if you haven't. But yeah, I mean, this is, again, great beer. We wanted to highlight lagers today, talking about water, not for any real particular reason other than, for all the reasons I like lagers, you can't hide anything in these beers, whether it's any any off layer from anywhere, uh, you can't have it. it and and this, these beers had to be executed uh, perfectly, which this one always is. So let's jump into this thing and and enjoy it together, John. I'm excited, so. and thank you for uh, – I probably should have brought that up. We're drinking two lagers on the episode where we – Beer 101, Water – and that, that wasn't meant to be a slight, um, but nope. I, I love your point of like, there's nothing you can hide behind here. This is a three ingredient dish. Well, four, but um, sometimes a little bit more. Okay. Sorry about the culinary example, but <laughs> there's, there's nothing to hide behind here. It's uh, a little bit, it's a little bit cloudier than, uh, than what and we saw with just, night shift. Right. could be a bit of a chill haze, but yeah, you're right. Little little bit of uh, cloudiness there, big old puffy white head that is hanging around. Um, man, it's just like sweet cereal, corn, honeydew, dancing, and amber waves of grain. Very oh, patriotic this. of you. Um, this, these guys also they uh, unpasteurize their 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 beer isn't pasteurized. We saw that with uh, Red Oak recently with their Maybach. Mm-hmm. Uh, True. Yep. So this is unfiltered and unpasteurized. So probably where the haze is coming from, it sat in lagering tanks as long as it needed to. But you, um, you know, you don't. And if you're not filtering this through something, it can look like a slight haze to it. Although not like, um, excuse me, uh, out of context or out of character for the style at all. I mean, this thing looks yeah. looks great. Yeah. Exactly. Great. It's, it's definitely not hazy. Um, but it's not it's not clear like the last one was, no. um, and it's easier to point that out because I just drank the last one and we kind of right. talked about it. Right, uh, drinking this, good lord, Jack's Abbey is uh, they kind of that brewery began uh, as lagering, right? That's, that's kind of their only focus, that, yeah. right? That's all. Yeah, that's all they do. They have uh, an offshoot called oh man it's called i'm gonna i should know this it's called spring something i think hold on that does uh, that does that does um that does ale like ales and that are so not lagers um but uh yes jack's abbey craft lagers is just lagers and they made a bunch of waves early on because they didn't I mean, I don't know what their first beer they ever brewed was, but the, what they got attention with for, was from Haponius Union and um, Kiwi Rising and Excess, which are like uh, IPLs, India Pale Lagers, which was a big deal a couple of years ago where someone decided, hey, let's hop the heck out of some lagers and kind of make them like a smoother IPA. And that's how it was born. And it, it, for a lot of places, it grew and died pretty quickly. But Haponius Union from Jack's Abbey is still their number one checked in beer and it's awesome they do it perfectly they really very quickly like took a new kind of style and mastered it which is pretty wild 
And now we also have these great beers. Number two checked in beer, House Lager, which we're drinking now, is more traditional. And um, and they're making they're making both. They're doing awesome Oktoberfest, like we spoke about. Still a bunch of IPLs out here. They do a shandy, a blood orange wheat, which is one like a lot of people talk about on Untapped, and it's also one of their top checked in beers. So a lot of really great stuff they're producing. Um, but this time of year, there's a lager um, for me all the way. The the shandy, the lager focus. There's a Germanic um, kind of feel to this. Brewery. Oh yeah, is that? Do you, is it correct for me to say that like? this is influenced by Germany. Are we to a point where we can say this is like an American lager producing brewery or do you, do you, and this is a subjective question, but do you feel like a place like Jack's Abbey or Red Oak, like do they open up seeking to replicate what's happening in Germany or uh, are they just kick-ass lager makers <laughs> that happen to live here in the States? Yeah. Well, so I would, well, Red Oak and Jack's Abbey do only, make lagers i would kind of put them on two different sides of the spectrum there where red oak does just want to make traditional german style inspired beers and then jack's abbey does that and it's no not hiding at all behind the fact that they are influenced by um lagers from all across europe but then also for sure have you know this american approach to it of, of hopping the heck out of some of them um, which is pretty cool. But on their website, they state, our mission is to create truly distinctive lagers featuring locally grown ingredients, traditional German brewing standards, and American innovation. So they're kind of marrying the old world uh, and the new there, but definitely calling back to Bavaria and the 200-year-old tradition of these lagers and all that stuff. So, and that was, Shemini Creek was very similar in that, like, our head brewer was trained in Germany, like, went to school there was part of a, a program that did like a semester there rather it was a u.s based brewing school but was brewing in germany for a while so like we would make bavarian style beers you know german style pilsners we'd always say that when we made uh, a beer it would it would be in the kind of our description on the can would be you know a german style pilsner a czech style pilsner a bavarian style lager um make really owning that you know it was influenced by Germany and not like an American version of it. We wanted to to make it those beers as close as possible to what they always tasted like, but then also tons of IPAs where we had different kinds of fun with. So I think they're doing something similar to that and that like they definitely have some big beers like their Framing Hammer, Baltic Porter, they barrel age and all kinds of stuff, which is really cool. Um, and then uh, loggers and IPA and stuff. That That is something I guess I wouldn't have expected Red Oak or Somewhat right. uh, like a, a a more German traditional style to go for barrel aging a lager. That just that sounds sure. That's that sounds adventurous. Sure. Um, sure. Damn. I, so I another question I had. Um, even though we're featuring uh, basically two breweries from the Boston area, right? Um, I noticed on Untapped recently. Uh, I think like very recently, like uh, July Fourth weekend. Jack's Abbey was part of, uh, I don't think it was a tap takeover, but uh, they got featured on a beer menu in Seoul, South Korea at Seoul Beer Project. And Whoa. they have like seven or eight of their beers oh, yeah. in South Korea, which is really cool. Um, so I, don't, I don't assume that's going to be a regular thing, but that, I think that's awesome. Um, 
kind of helping grow. Asia's beer scene is, I mean, that's a whole different, we could do a whole season on that. If Oh, we, yeah. If, how fast <laughs> it's growing and holy stuff. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. How fast it's growing and all that. Yeah, they have, you're right. They have a ton. I wonder if they just, they got some bourbon barrel aged framing hammer right there in 500 mil bottles. And, uh, oh, the Springdale, that's the other, their other sister brewery, Springdale. Uh, they have a maple barrel aged Brigidario from them, which is an imper- a double imperial stout maple barrel. So they're, I mean, these guys are killing it, whether it's lagers or not. Um, but yeah, you're right. I'm seeing that too. I'm looking at that that uh, Soul Beer Project right look, event that looks like they did with them this past weekend, which is uh, that's pretty killer. And yeah, you see this all over there about uh, Jack's Abbey itself, more than 862,000 total check-ins, 184,000 unique. So a lot of a lot of fans there on a repeat. Yeah, they're they're repeat. they'll probably be hitting their million, maybe or yeah, by, maybe, maybe end by the end year. of the year. Yeah. Maybe um, they're averaging a couple thousand check-ins a month, and House Lager has fifty-three thousand of those um, check-ins. So we got number two checked-in beer for them, and um, and yeah, it's, yeah. So just doing it's anyway. It's just a great beer. I wanted to get on the podcast. Wanted to share it with you, John, and have you everyone out there listening. If you're able to, you know, get it in your in their footprint, you should do it if you haven't had it yet. It's easy to walk by a lager on the shelf, but I'm telling you, stop, pick this one up. Because it does a lot. It just quenches your thirst. It takes you to, you know, awesome classic German style beer. It's just a delicious thing to drink. There's just lots of boxes of checks for me. Totally. Uh, as I said earlier, I've been consuming in mass uh, a single dry hop lager, which right. is still, in my opinion, <laughs> is the greatest beer I've ever had. Um, uh, but it'll change, right? Like that, uh, that's an opinion. And in, in six months, it'll be a different beer, maybe yep. in a week, who knows? But um, but definitely drinking these two beers, uh, and even a couple of months ago, uh, we grabbed a six pack of Sam Adams, Boston lager and yep. drinking that, like, it's just, maybe it's my age catching up with me or my, <laughs> my after work activities, but sometimes it's really nice to have a beer that doesn't consume not only my palate, but like the next 20 minutes or some, sometimes maybe right. just kind of like yeah, set lager, you down right. a little too relaxing. Um, right. Being able right. to crack open a lager like while you're finishing that last minute project, especially with a lot of us working from home. Um, it's nice to just crack one of these open subtly in your last Zoom meeting of the day or, um, <laughs> you know, like on Sunday, there is no football. There's not a lot of sports going on, but on right. Sunday at noon, I mean, hell yeah, crack open a, a, a double New England IPA if you've got it in you. But <laughs> pick up a four-pack of lagers and start there because uh, you can drink and you can continue making your chicken wings and preparing your dinner and then open the yeah. New England, you know, once once yeah. most of your chores are done. Now I sound right, like yeah. my dad, damn it. <laughs> Only a matter of time. Um, but uh, but that's right. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a reason this style of beer is, you know, what most, you know, is the most popular lager I'm talking about overall, just like the most popular style of beer in the States, probably all over the world, really, if you look at it. Um, uh, yeah, that beer, right, it's drinkable. It's, you know, it's it's not much of a mental commitment, which you, you kind of bring up a good point, John. I think about a lot where being in this industry as long as we've been in it and making as many beers as I have, I have, it's almost impossible, much like, you know, an actor or whatever, watching a movie 
to lose himself in that movie because they're like, ah, oh, that's there's the I can see the cord right there. That special effects, that car didn't blow up, and it's like, oh man, they can't just enjoy the chase. It's become like a your brain is is can't help itself but to figure it out. That's the same with like a lot of IPAs or complex imperial stouts or whatever where I drink it and I'm like, what is that hop? I know this. Let me sip again, and I'm like doing an exercise. It's almost like I'm back at work when every Wednesday we do triangle tests to kind of challenge ourselves to, to learn that and that your brain kind of defaults to it or a lager obviously again we've said again and again this is no slight against them it's a very approachable beer uh and that's a good thing we've got to turn your brain off have a couple have a taste great about to sit there and do some weird kind of you know mental hula hooping where you're like what is that what yeast is that is that the why is it hazy is it the malt or something else what am i tasting here this is just boom. We're gonna taste the same each time you drink it, and it's it doesn't require much mental capacity to to drink this thing. At least for me, it's just kind of like, wow, that's great, and that's it. And I kind of float away. <laughs> delicious. On to the next. Um, so speaking of how delicious this beer is, I want to uh, get to what uh, what we've been excited about for the last week or so, getting ready for the episode where we try and make water exciting. Um, but before, uh, in, in drinking this beer, Harrison, uh, I want to yeah. ask, uh, what's your view on the flavor? We, we talked about aroma when we first opened it briefly and even still, like for me, I can, I can get toasted biscuit in the aroma, um, on this, yep. which isn't something I think you think of when you, when you think of a lager, you think maybe when I think of a lager, I think of the last commercial I saw, which is the Bud Light night fixing a castle or something like that right and the, the aroma <laughs> on that is generally water um right. or closer to it anyways there's right, an analogy sure. there about something in a canoe but yep. um, <laughs> but uh a flavor in this beer and it's important to talk about flavor in a lager it's i mean basil is beautiful on itself and has an amazing flavor and it just because it's just a leaf doesn't mean you should ignore it so Right. What's the what, oh. what do you get in terms of flavor on this very masterfully crafted lager from Jack's Abbey? Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's much. So, yeah, the nose, even like the what I get predominantly is like a subtle kind of honeyness, I guess you would say to it, where it's not honey sweet. It's almost as if you took the sweetness away from the honey um, and put it basically like a honey sandwich almost where it's like nice good loaf of freshly baked bread, throw some honey on mm. it, take a bite. And that's what's happening kind of in, in my mouth right now. So it's again, not comp, not complex. It's just very well made, but it's kind of like a, you can get other things. Like I almost a moment ago, I was drinking it and I was like, gosh, is that cantaloupe again, without the sweetness? I try to imagine that take, which is tough to do because that's fruits, mostly sugar. So like taking the sweet away is like, what am I, what do you want to eat me or eat the rind? Drinking it's a beer, like, walking past right, a cantaloupe farm. Right, exactly. Like, there you go. Right. That's right. Right. Exactly. If you can imagine a cantaloupe is two rooms away <laughs> and he's yelling about something, that's what this is. Um, yeah. So there's like a little bit of cantaloupe, a little bit of cereal, but it's not as pronounced. Um, there was definitely drinking it alongside night heavy, there was more bread notes in that one than this one. This one is like more honey. And there's like this subtle undertone of like toasted, like, like someone toasted some bread in the next room and you're smelling it. 
Um, it's definitely that. It's definitely you can't. You just can't miss it. Nope. I think I think that's perfect. Um, the flavor. Uh, you know, if I had to rate how much, what's the volume of flavor in this beer? I don't know, but it's less than the night shift beer. Like there's less volume crammed in this beer, like per square inch, if that makes sense to anyone. Sure. Um, sure. But what is there in flavor is like, it, it, it's not offensive. It's just a note. Like you said, cantaloupe, I get a little bit of apple. It's hard to to nail down because it's not necessarily, I'm, I'm picking it up when I drink the beer, but it's almost like I'm smelling an apple while I'm drinking this beer. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that's unique to, or as I've found it, like, um, like unique to Hellas style lagers. Like, a, there's a, a brewery in, um, outside of Philadelphia called Sly Fox and they make a oh, Hell, yeah. high, Hellas lagers. They're, one of their go-to beers um, that forever was just a proof of exclusive. And they finally canned it a couple of years ago. And that was one of the best days of my life. That's a whole other story. But, um, but that there's a similar note that I've always had a hard time kind of like picking out in this beer as in that beer, as in other German style Hellas lagers too. And it's, it, it's kind of like, right. Maybe it's just serially, maybe it's the body itself that kind of uh, I'm, I'm almost, tasting um if you all it is because it is subtly sweet um but again it's like it's not cloying it just lives in this weird place where it's just so subtle um it's it's, it's almost like your body's tr- your brain is trying to like find more there and almost imagining more flavor is trying to make it make sense trying to have you associate this with the closest thing you've had to it you know in the past and that can create maybe you know some I don't know, some kind of ghost flavors and stuff, but it's really, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's just, it's very bread kind of lightly toasted stuff happening, but it's, I've had it in almost every house lager I've ever enjoyed. And it's, it's also not for nothing, like the German noble hops that are like more floral and can sometimes be piney, um, but not like dank piney probably adding a little bit to that undertone we're here we're tasting cantaloupe and apple and stuff it's that fruitiness thing come through in those hops and how dry they are and how low in alpha acids they are uh it, it really is the flavor you get and not that bitterness that we, you go ah that's the hop i'm tasting it's like almost like you're trying to you only have half you think you only have half the puzzle because you're just tasting the hop and not um the flavor of it and not experiencing the bitterness so your brain's trying to like make sense of that so that's and probably coming in too when you say hops in a lager like this we'd expect like tetanang or hallertau or something like not a not a fit and not a fancy name new hop but a traditional bavarian german style mm-hmm. oh yeah um for sure and you mentioned um like hellas uh the jack's abbey calls this a land beer which to the best of my knowledge is kind of, uh, I would say that's marketing. Um, land beer <laughs> isn't fully, uh, isn't like as defined as so many other beer styles, but to the best of what I could learn, it, it's kind of roughly translated into like rustic lager or country lager, generally with a right. little bit more of a malt build, which I think right. is we would have talked about on the last episode with malt, there, you get a lot of flavor from this beer comes in 
the malt, less from the hops. And sure. the question I want to ask you before we jump into uh, beer 101 is like lagering. Uh, a lot of times we talk about how quick you can make an IPA or an ale mm. versus a lager. Um they don't filter this beer. They don't pasteurize this beer. So it's meant to be drank fresh. But how long would it take in, 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 you know, in no certain terms? But is this something where they'd be able to crank out a whole bunch of this in a week or two? Or does this have to kind of sit in lager for a long time? Yeah, that's a lager for a while. And a while is touch and go. We would always, I think I mentioned it before, but we would always, like, it would be between 27 and probably 32 or 30 four days um from start to finish for our lagers so almost twice as long if not longer than our ipas and we had a whole we had a bunch of horizontal lagering tanks that we would lager them in for that exact uh to that exact end which we can talk more about in the cellaring and the fermentation episodes of uh a beer 101 lagering itself but yeah these are Right, slow and steady is the way to go for these guys. You really can't rush them. Um, you would try, but it would just be like a weird, probably grassy mess that looked cloudy and was just not the beer you were trying to make. Time is a ingredient here, almost to have them be this clear. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. And look and look and look like this. Otherwise, you're you're serving something else. Um, for sure. The fifth ingredient in all beers: time. It's time. Um, you heard it here first. Not T H Y M E, but the time. <laughs> the time we're all experienced when one second at a time. <laughs> that time. <laughs> so some of us slower on some days. True, man. After uh, after a long weekend Monday. Yep. That's right. Um, so now to get to the part where I get to pick Harrison's brain on all mm. the bits of Doc Brown esque beer knowledge that he keeps packed away up there and old right. parchments right. and scrolls right. flux capacitors yep so today's beer 101 we've covered so far hops in episode 13 we did malt in episode 14 and here we're going to talk about water um and then in the next episode we'll finish off the four key components with yeast but today's focus is water and yeah. i'm ready if you are harrison Let's do it. Let's dive in. And, uh, and oh, I said dive in. I didn't even mean to do that, but whatever. It's too late. It already happened. The man's a pun machine. <laughs> he can't help himself. Um, okay. Starting off with question number one. So we've covered uh, hops and malt. I just illustrated this, but I wrote this question <laughs> down a week ago. Um, so uh, here's, my, here's my question. Much like making a good soup, water plays a mm. role, but usually isn't the highlight. Nobody thinks right. of the water when they get a beautiful tomato soup. So can you just kind of explain right. to us surface level, why water and water quality plays such a role in making good beer? Sure. So there's a common phrase in music that jazz is the notes you don't play. Damn, it's already and, beautiful. Right. And yeah. for anyone who's heard a, a wild Miles Davis trumpet solo, maybe that maybe a light's gone on in your head now of like, oh, that's he's playing literally every note. But these two, and perhaps that's the song he's trying to have me hear is the stuff he's not laying out there. So anyway, I love that that quote, and that idea. And I think the same can be said for water and beer. It's not so much what is in the water that matters or what's not in that water. 
uh, when you use it to, to, to make your beer itself. And there are so many things that can be, whether it's too many minerals from the groundwater or detergents or chlorine, if you're in a city that's treating the water um, that way. There are lots of things that are in the water we drink every day that can mess with the quality of your beer and ultimately the pH of that water uh, is what matters the most, which is in turn, you know, affected by all sorts of things. Water chemistry is, is complex. That's why there are books and classes about it and people are experts about it, but we can, we'll cover it. Yeah. Right. High level today, but, but pH is going to be the most important part of it. Assuming you're not like scooping water out of a pond and you're getting it from like your tap or something like that. Let's start there. Try to get the best water you can and then um and then kind of work from what you have and chlorine is always like the for living in philadelphia and working luckily the shaman was right outside the city's limits so we did not have to use city water we use water from shaman creek that's why it's called that um so we were using um water from rivers and reservoirs and estuaries and stuff um which is a little bit different than groundwater but um if you're getting water from your tap, it's probably fine. Like the the old relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. It's always always top of mind for me when talking about stuff like this. Like don't be that guy who doesn't start brewing because you're terrified your water is gonna destroy it. Nope, you don't want to. Don't don't go down that rabbit hole. You're probably good. However, there's some good things things to consider, and really the goal is kind of getting your pH pretty neutral to start around seven, which most tap water is. Um, and then knowing that what matters more than the water is the mash water. So you're going to be obviously adding a bunch of grain to this. That's going to change what that water's pH is. Grain is acidic. And that's what matters the most. You're not just making your, obviously the, the, the process is putting the, the grain in that water to make the wort and that pH is what matters um, the most. So as long as you start somewhere around seven, perfect but really it's yeah it's about what's not in there most tap water though like almost all of it should be great just you know you have chlorine you can boil it off ahead of time or um pour it out the night before and like your brew kettle let it gas off itself or use camden tablets which is potassium metabisulfite which will also help ask off gas that chlorine that's the biggest one that you hear like most often if you're like getting other weird stuff in your water you can always go in your town's like local website and like find out what their water tests are and dive in there and learn like what the pH of the water is, how hard is it, where does it come from? That's cool, but you're probably going to find that it's around seven and your mash will change it. Um, change drop it even further. Now breweries, brewers will do this through mashing, but also using brewing salts. So um, those things like gypsum, which is calcium sulfate or calcium chloride, uh, to balance the pH and even use lactic acid, like literally dump it in there um, into the beer. If you're, you test your pH mash and it's too high or too low, you can change that by, um, by treating the water, which most breweries do. Uh, most commercial breweries are doing something with their water. Even if it's fine when it comes out, they're probably touching it up a bit. So, uh, a quick kind of distillation. Oh, damn it! I don't know if that's a water <laughs> pun, but um, pH is 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 a key, and a pH effectively is a scale of like how base or acidic a, a liquid or solution is. So seven sits right around the middle, which is like 
perfect water is not acidic or base. Oh, right. Um, and effectively, uh, you can you can check on in many resources what the water coming out of your tap is. It's probably going to be really close to seven. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't really have to worry about that too much. Where you can lose touches is when you start mashing in, that'll affect your pH. And there's like, yeah. so that's in you know, most recipes, you can probably safely assume that the recipe was built to service a water around seven in pH. So you don't really have to worry about affecting it a lot but sometimes right there's certain malts that'll raise or lower a ph more yeah 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 um, it'll drop it down yeah and you and that's good you want you want it to be between like 5.2 and 5.6 on the ph scale your your mash water and yeah, darker grains are more acidic they'll drop it down more so like stouts you're gonna drop lower compared to a pale ale or the lager stringing tonight uh they'll probably they probably treated they probably had to treat that water to get it to a place where that wasn't creating off flavors in that beer, like really sulfury kind of gaseous flavors that you can get from lagers sometimes um, can come from the water just um, being too high or too low on the pH scale and using brewing salts to accomplish that in a really pale and light grain bill um, is, is like necessary. You need to, you need to do something like that. Okay. So it's definitely, Maybe at this point, water hasn't become double dry hop citra, but it is important mm. in giving your double dry hop citra a place to shine. Yes. If you yeah. don't pay attention to that. Yeah, you want to dry it out. Yeah, for sure. Especially with IPAs. I mean, that was probably when we treated the most treatment was with, with IPAs, putting gypsum in there to kind of drop the pH more. That allowed the dryness of the hops to shine through and really be apparent in that final beer, having something closer to 5.2 as opposed to 5.6 or 7 pH. That's a very small window, but it, again, like it, it's incrementally, it makes a, a big difference when you're brewing a huge batch of beer. You to- anybody I think that's ever had a pool knows what like those look like. <laughs> right. oh, um, if you've ever life uh, for a summer, you're already halfway to making your own beer at home. Right. That's right. Um, so that being said, um, while, so far, beer uh, water hasn't become necessarily a huge star. We can see that it is important. It's it's the ease, it's the it's the canvas in which you paint on. Um, mm-hmm. So it is important in that regard. But that being said, are there any beers or, or beer styles that come to mind, Harrison, that kind of show off uh, water quality? Uh, and we can skip this right. if you want, but. Well, I mean, really, it's it's again, it's about like the showing off is the right. It's the absence of anything bad. Like you, you don't want to show off. It's more about when water is there and invisible, and that canvas. You can realize the painting's on um, that it's it's doing its best job. And you can, you know, now nowadays mouthfeels become a big talking point with all these hazy IPAs out there. And how do you accomplish that? You can use lactose to to change the mouthfeel, oats, wheat, other adjuncts to get that like velvety smooth. Experience. Um, a good example, though, um, of a brewery that is really focusing on um, treating their water is Treehouse. So they're famous for hazy IPAs, but they claim that they don't use adjunct grains to get there. It's all about their water and treating it appropriately with the right kind of brewing salts um, based on the water they start with, of course, to to get that hazy, hazy appearance. Obviously, they're also using like English ale yeasts and 
hops like citra that kick off a lot of haze and create a hazy beer but they're just pretty much just relying on the water and then the yeast and the hops to make it look like someone dumped a mountain of wheat in it when they they in fact have not which is really interesting um and again like kind of sneaking a look at your next question it's it's it speaks to kind of this this battle that that's i think almost fruitless of people hunting down water of like okay i gotta duplicate treehouses water in my house how do i do that and i i think that's almost a, almost always a dead end because they're going to be doing things to that water if you go and get like the water report for you know the town treehouse is in and try to duplicate that water you're missing out on what Treehouse is doing to it. It's not, it's just part of this, this equation. It, that makes good. I was, I, so the next question I have queued up for Harrison is, uh, <clears throat> is an air quotes, the New York bagel or pizza yes. question. Yep. So many people are probably familiar with the fact that like the reason New York bagels are so good is because of the water. One of the first professional brewing experiences I had was with a brewer who was previously a water chemist and we were going to make an ESB right. and, and I thought, you know, all right, let's look up some ESB recipes and figure out. And he began with ESBs are from London. We're going to make the water that comes out of the faucet in London. So, I mean, and, and you touched on that with Treehouse as well, Harrison, like would, uh, would, a, would, would I be vain in thinking that when a brewery, when a professional brewery, like we did Green Man last episode, when they're making an ESB, do they try and replicate the water in London or Belgium to make a, a Belgium tasting beer? Is that something that comes up very often? Yeah. And, and yeah. And again, it's yes, you want to like, but it's only, it's, it's part of this bigger, um, bigger conversation or it's again just step one of like two other steps you need to know otherwise you are you're going to miss the mark for example the burton on trend which is a, a town uh north of london which is where the ipa was born and kind of a lot of historians have called it like the most important brewing city in the world and it's it used to have 30 breweries in it 200 years ago and all this really cool stories about it um had really hard water and so there are, I've looked at like, you know, brewing websites and used apps to build my recipes that have like the Burton on Trent water profile in there. What is that? How do I recreate that? But what's not in those equations is that those brewers were boiling, pre-boiling that water to, because it's really hard um, to, to try to cancel some of that out before they even mashed in with it. So they do the night before just to kind of get a lot of the solids out of that water and make it actually drinkable so if you try to recreate the water that comes out of the tap and burton on trent it's not going to be the same water those breweries were using or are still using today because they're doing something to the water that comes out of that faucet and so same with like germany like the pilsen region where pilsers are were born um that water they've been treating it the brewers have for like hundreds of years with brewing salts because it's so soft trying to add some hardness to it. So it's really important. Hardness is not everything. pH is not everything. There are other, it's part of this equation that's like easy to measure. Um, but like we've said it before, you have a Hellas Lager, the ones we had tonight from Jack's Abbey, that one was great. You drink that next to a Hellas Lager from Munich, it's going to taste different. It's going to taste different and they're both well-made, but it's something from that water, even if you're matching the pH, 
there's more going on there than just that to contribute to what you're you're drinking and that's going to be i don't know if how you there's so many like secondary tertiary factors to what's actually in that water to try and like rebuild that from scratch with just salts and not and and you know some lactic acid i think it's going to be impossible there's almost something about the terroir of that water that is not capturable and reproducible in some kind of lab setting that and i think i think it should be that way and but again like they're both great it's just going to be let the difference exist and and kind of celebrate that but yeah you don't want to be like making those that water that's that they're drinking out of the tap because it's not going to be what they burn with it's not so gonna, it would right. it would be kind of vain of me to just go to neshemini creek and grab some right. water and think i right. can recreate exactly that's ex- exactly right because right. neshemini creek is modifying that exactly. water once it gets to the brewery yep exactly correct same with yeah yep and, and then that, that kind of extrapolates into any brewery it's in a city that you know that is pulling city water that has chlorine in it what they're doing to make that even brewable is like a whole other process that you yeah so exactly it's it's again it's very exciting but it's just this part piece of this puzzle and gets romanticized a lot and uh and unnecessarily so you get bogged down in it although water chemistry is kind of fascinating Okay, so um, here's something a little tangential, and um, I think this is kind of uh, this for me was thought provoking, though, and it yeah. made me wonder why it hasn't happened quite yet. But I hope <laughs> I, I expect you'll have a good answer. Um, so, aside from water, right? If we just remove this and assume that liquid is necessary in a beer, what would happen if I decided I was going to make a lager with like chicken stock or apple juice or something? Most things are still mostly water. So for covering most of the planet, water is pretty sneaky. It's kind of in a lot of things. So, uh, and I actually, I brewed, and I, I say in air quotes, brewed a well-known homebrew recipe uh, with my college roommates called Ed Wart's Applevisen, which is a, um, or Applevine, it's a, um, a German style apple wine. Um, so I did this with apple juice and all, that's all the recipe was, was like five gallons of unpasteurized apple juice. I think it was a pound of sugar, may have been more than that, just like white sugar and then champagne yeast, put it in a bucket, I didn't even brew it. This is, like, it a this is almost like Pruno. This right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's yeah, it's bathtub gin, but you put it in a bucket and, and wait. And like the homebrew forums, this was like all the rage probably 10 or 12 years ago. On a lot of the home reforms, people were discovering this. Ed Wart is the is the, I think it was his handle or his name, and the guy who posted about it first, um, uh, and his recipe. And we made it a couple years in a row, like right before Thanksgiving, we had a drink on Thanksgiving, and it was the hangovers were legendary. It was horrible. It just got off. Tasted great. It would always blow the top off the bucket, off the brewing bucket, because it was so vigorous the <laughs> fermentation. And I remember one year we would we were cut like the the idiots college kids it would clearly had fermented enough we but we cut up a bunch of apples and fruit and stuff and threw it in there to like ferment more and then i remember just later that night sitting by a fire with the bucket open and like a ladle and like pouring it out into people it was like a it was like a yule drink like a whatever you know like some kind of weird sangria from um some horrible place but again like oh yeah hangovers are god awful but it's a fun thing to make it's easy to make Ready for a mess though? It's gonna blow the top off your brewing bucket, but it's something you like go and make now. Like anyone could make that easily and start there. But whoo, got it. Ready? Okay. So 
So again, you can do it. You can make it. You can make anything. You can ferment anything with sugar in it. But um, but yeah, just be careful of the the results there. Yeah, I'm excited for. Uh, I think it's. I don't know if it's episode 18 that we do fermentation coming up. But mm. uh, this will will undoubtedly revisit Ed Wart, um, mm. or an apple juice explosion. <laughs> um, so you touched on this before, but um. It, for for any home brewers listening, um, I think it's important that we kind of get like again. I don't want to uh, to be super redundant on this, but is just taking beer from my tap is that going to really harm me at all, or should I get like one of those Amazon reverse osmosis systems or a filter or, or, or like what should be my right. concern for water right. as a home brewer? Sure. I mean, you're starting out and you're worried about it. You think there's some chlorine in your water or you're, you have well water and it tastes pondy and weird to you. Then just grab a couple jugs of you know water from your grocery store or whatever. If you're using extract, you're an extract brewer, you can even brew with distilled water. All the minerals that beer needs is in that extract when they make it for you, um, whoever is making the extract you're using. So even use distilled water, which has, you know, almost nothing, it's totally stripped. So has almost nothing in it um, to brew with. So yeah, don't worry about it. Tap water should be fine. If you're worried, use bottled water to start um, with, and and yeah, you'll be good to go. I mean, really, it's um, yeah. I've, I brew with all kinds of stuff: well water, city water, tap water, not in a city, bottled water, um, and had fine results really across the board. It's it's and the city water is where things can get tricky, but even still, it's like not to the Unless you're, the drinks like you're walking through the YMCA when you have a glass of water, it's I don't think it's going to be the thing that that knock that you know destroys your beer. Pay attention to your pH, but don't sweat the the initial. Don't sweat it. My uh, wife and by proxy myself are are kind of huge coffee nerds, and I remember her yeah. telling me just is that maybe a month ago that like you can't use super pure water in your coffee because it needs some of the minerals to pick up flavors so she's doing sure. like half osmosis water and half tap water and I, I can't i can't tell much of the difference but <laughs> um that's a good point to hear that it kind of translates to beer but more importantly check your ph after the mash yes um, and so last question um something hopefully relatable maybe not are there any bigger commercial brewers you can think of that have gone through maybe great lengths to assure this water quality in their final product. And actually, as I ask, you've kind of touched on the fact that it is important, but anybody yeah. you can think of that, that kind of maybe really is, 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 is double checking their water or is this something that maybe is just more common than anybody ever thinks of? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely if you're an operating brewery today and you've been doing it for a bit, like you're dialed in, you know, your water, you have a lab checking it, you have you're on top of this stuff. And it's because it is very important. Um, but the thing that really kind of um, I, when you asked this question, what I thought of first was breweries like Oscar Blues and New Belgium and Stone and Sierra Nevada that have breweries on different coasts of the U.S. Some of them have different breweries around the world, or at least Stone did. Um, they can make the same beer on different coasts, different places that as a drinker, I can't tell if this is brewed in California or it's brewed in North Carolina or, or Richmond when I drink it. And that is a testament to with different water sources that are different, that start off different 
they're similar, but they're they're different enough um, where you need to do some adjusting to make the beer in California taste the same as the one in North Carolina. And to be able to do that, that's really impressive. And it kind of shows you that, um, that, you know, you know, we can, this is something that's, water chemistry is not a, not a mystery. It's probably more well covered than even like hop chemistry and hop oils, all that stuff that we're still learning a lot about as we dive deep into what the heck hops can do with how many different breweries use them different ways currently. But, um, but yeah, like that's something that's always impressed me. If I could have a Sierra Nevada pale ale in San Diego or at my house here and not know what brewery it came from and just not be able to, to tell. And that's, that's awesome. And it, it starts with the water and someone building up North Carolina water to taste like water from Chico or you know, wherever their original brewery is. That I, th- I think is, is probably uh, a great explanation of maybe a water or the source of water or the pH of the original mash will never be listed on an exciting beer label. But without taking those steps, it's unlikely you'll be able to make a really exciting beer. Is I yep. guess that's that's the argument to be made for water and its importance in it, every single beer any of us have ever drank. Yeah, fortunate that it's you know for most most of the world pretty good and good tasting and accessible and all that good stuff and uh, and yeah and that uh, yeah if you're a home brewer don't freak out about it, relax, have that home brew, brew some beer, uh, grab some bottled water if you're really freaking out about it um, to put that. Put that on the back burner so you can enjoy the the brew day itself. Um, yeah, definitely. Sure. And for if you're sure. not a home brewer, become one with with me All and right. Harrison soon. Um, if anything, it'll I think it'll help you appreciate more the beers that you drink out and about, or talk about them, or ask questions sure. about them. Right. Um, a, yep. Yep. It's a good way to make a big mess in your closet. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Ed Ed Wart Apple Ed Wart Apple Vines Apple Vines coming uh. through on the homebrew thread. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's it for Beer One Hundred and One. What do we got All coming right. up on the next episode? Sixteen, yeah. Harrison. That's right. Episode sixteen. We're going to be focusing on yeast as we kind of round out the four ingredients that are in every beer. We'll finish up with yeast and and be featuring two new beers. We're going to announce that um, early. Uh, in the Facebook group. Um, so if you're not in there yet, jump into Facebook, find us, the Drinking Socially group. Um, we'll pop in there. We're going to be drinking next episode. So you guys can hopefully drink along with, with us. And you know, YouTube's always a, a great resource. If you don't know, we're on there. And these episodes show up a day early. So if you're jonesing to find out what happens next and can't wait another day, YouTube is your Huckleberry. And on Twitter, you can hit us up at That Beer Podcast. Uh, and let me know, you know, if, if I was right or wrong about the Back to the Future statement I made um, last week, as well as other ridiculous things we've been claiming there. We're really trying to fill out Twitter with some fun stuff. It's been a lot of fun getting on there personally and then through the, the podcast uh, Twitter to just interact with more people about beer and, and share with a new audience what we're doing and hear what they're thinking and saying. So a lot of fun things happening on Twitter. If you haven't been there yet and checked out at that beer podcast is where you'll find Bringing socially, 
uh, on the old Twitter. I, John, what other what other thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think if you're listening this long into another long episode of Drinking Socially, <laughs> um, which is kind of a drawback of Harrison and I working from home and never actually seeing each other. Uh, <laughs> some of this is just us catching up. But um, if you're listening this far, you're one of my favorite people. Um, I wish we were drinking a beer together. And I mean that because drinking a beer together would mean more people to talk about it with. And that's one of my favorite things. Um, But if you like the show, hit the subscribe button, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this, there's probably a subscribe button. Hit that so that you know when a new episode comes out. And I would say even more importantly, yes, leave a review because Somehow that helps us through computer algorithms and helping other people find the show. But mm-hmm. most importantly, um, Harrison and I started this Twitter just recently. And the only goal of this is to interact more with you. Did you hear something that Harrison was talking about with water or on the malt episode and you're unsure? Hit us up on Twitter. Ask a question. You'll get a response. It'll be either me or Harrison that come in there, maybe both of us, if if it's a (laughs) tough question. But check that out. If you like the show, let us know. Otherwise, if you have any questions, show notes, links to the beers we drank are going to be available on podcast.untap.com. And again, hit us up on Twitter. Join the Facebook group. Uh, We welcome your contributions to the show always. Yes. Other than that, we will see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah.